0: Well, my name is Steven and I'm the young adult pastor here and growing up my family and I would go to Florida every year. It was kind of our Christmas tradition. And we would pile into what was once a Dodge Caravan and then we got a Honda Odyssey and we would pack up our our presents, our Christmas presents, we would pack up our suitcases and I have this distinct memory of my brother being in the in the captain's seat, my sister being in the captain's seat, and I'm stuck in the middle in the back row, piles of Christmas gifts on one side, piles of suitcases on the other. We drove our parents absolutely crazy. But that those Christmases in Florida were some of my finest memories. I mean, if you've never experienced jet skiing on Christmas Day, you have not experienced a Christmas. But to be completely honest with you, what was even better than the week that we would spend in Christmas every year was actually the 16-hour drive down. I know it's really hard to believe, and if you ask my parents that, they would wholeheartedly disagree with that statement. But there was something about getting cramped in that van, pulling out our Magnavox brick TV TV putting in a VHS, powered into the, the cigarette lighter, and just going, watching movies, getting on each other's nerves, stopping in Georgia and getting some peaches, coming across the south of the border, wondering what kind of tourist trap we had just passed. I mean, the, the journey in of itself was what I remember. And tonight, we're kicking off a series on gratitude. And I think a lot of times when we think of gratitude, we think of a moment, like maybe Thanksgiving, maybe a a high moment in your life, but really gratitude is a journey. And tonight I want to talk to you about the journey of gratitude. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 19, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The beginning of this passage, verse 1, can seem like a footnote. He entered Jericho and was passing through. But for the gospel writer Luke, the theme of a journey is a key theme of the whole book. Jesus is on a journey. He's on a journey from a place called Galilee, where he did the majority of his ministry, to Jerusalem. And from chapter 9 through chapter 19, Luke is telling the story of this journey. Luke is actually the longest book in the New Testament. And he's going into great detail about this journey that Jesus is on. From chapter 9, verse 51, is kind of the beginning of this journey. And Luke says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus came to this earth on a mission And he was not going to be deterred from that mission. It was to seek and to save the lost. It was to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. And as he is going towards Jerusalem, he enters the city called Jericho. And Jericho was a city close to Jerusalem. It was kind of at the end of Jesus' journey, about 12 miles away. But it was a beautiful city in Jesus' time. It was a city of lush palm trees and of springs. It was the Miami of its day. It was a nice place to go on vacation. It was a nice place to retire, to have a beach house. And Jesus had healed, as he was approaching the city, he healed a blind beggar. And so news was getting out about who Jesus was. He had a pretty extensive ministry up to this point. People knew, okay, this guy is at very least a miracle worker, Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's even the son of God. But he was teaching with anointing, unlike anything anyone had ever seen. He's healing people, and news was spreading. But it's important to note that Jericho is not the destination. It was a key part of the disciples and Jesus' journey. And as, look at verse 2, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. So they enter into the city. They see this man Zacchaeus. We know three things about Zacchaeus. One, he was a tax collector. Two, he was rich. And three, he was short. It's interesting that he's described as a chief tax collector. Because Jesus was very familiar with tax collectors. He actually had one on his staff, Matthew. He was accused of being a friend of sinners and tax collectors. But Zacchaeus was different than every other tax collector in that he's described in the original language as the chief tax collector. This passage is the only place that that term is used. So there's something about Zacchaeus that not only was he a tax collector, but he was a a person of very important status, the head of all the tax collectors. He had some serious power. And if you know anything about tax collectors during that time, you know that it was not a very—it's uh, not a very enviable position, occupation, because the tax collectors worked for the Roman Empire. They were Jews, but they were collecting taxes from their countrymen to support an empire that was oppressing their nation. Somebody had to do it, but you didn't want to be that somebody. And to make matters a little bit worse, Zacchaeus would take in taxes from his people but then also kind of add or expect more money for his own personal gain. He was robbing his very own people. He was known as a sellout, as all tax collectors were. And he was doing really well at his business. His city was a major toll collection point for goods that were passing through. And Luke tells us that he was rich. So picture a man here who is in a beautiful setting, in Jerusalem, he's got power, he's got the title, and he's got riches. And ironically, the very thing that Zacchaeus had that he was so discontented over is oftentimes when we think of gratitude as the things that we're thankful to God for. When we think of gratitude, and this is not necessarily a bad thing, but we're we're thankful that God has provided money, a job. Maybe a nice house. But here's a man who had all those things, all the things that we're praying for, and he's not happy. There's something ironic about Luke's description of Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus' name means the righteous one. He has everything at his fingertips except the one thing he was named for. He has not an ounce of righteousness. Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Zacchaeus was seeking. And when anybody is seeking, there's often limitations to our seeking. For Zacchaeus, it was a crowd. And oftentimes, a crowd can be a hindrance and not a help to our progress. When I was in high school, and I can't believe I'm admitting this here, but I was a part of a rap group. <laughs> yes, it's true. I'm not making this up, okay? I, don't let the, the clothes fool you, you know, and the, and the well-kept hair. I mean, I was running the streets of Ashburn, Virginia in my suburban life, and I was a part of a rap group with two other buddies, and we were called nefarious. Yes, this gets even more embarrassing. So we had a, uh, a talent show at our school. And I don't know if it's an indication of the lack of the talent pool at the school, but we were the headlining act. I don't think anybody saw any of our tapes, listened to any of our tapes, or we probably wouldn't have performed. But we were the very last act. And the act before us uh, actually were some guys from another school, and they thought it would be a great idea after their performance to take their guitars and to smash them on stage. You know those rock type, man. Those guys are just, they're crazy. So they damaged the stage, and the principal got very upset. He shuts down the whole school. Now listen, we're rappers, guys. We're not going to let some principal shut down our our, our grand performance here, our debut. So we did what any rappers from Ashburn would do. We took this show outside. And so, I have the bright idea, 16-year-old mind, okay, to put the track, the CD in the car, to crank up the volume. The crowd is just egging me on, you know, they're thinking, they're, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm put, what they're putting down, you know, I'm picking up. So, so, here I am on top of this car, and I'm, man, I'm just killing this lyric, right? Like, I'm just verse by verse doing my thing, and out of the blue... I see some arms swimming through the crowd. And I saw this man whose face, it wasn't like a a, a reddish pink. It was like beet red, like tomato red, like you've been out in the sun really long red. And it was my dad. And I'm on top of the car, and I'm giving my best 50 cent impression. I'm giving my best Kanye impression. I'm laying down this, this, these great lyrics, and I see this red face as my, the top of my car is concaving down, knowing that this performance is probably my last act here on planet Earth. I remember going home that night, and that's all I remember, <laughs> But the crowd is often a hindrance (laughs) to our journey following Jesus. The crowd on Facebook will tell us we've waited too long for God to provide a spouse. It's time to go on to something else. The crowd of soccer moms and dads tell us that if we don't miss church every Sunday for soccer tournaments, that our kid will never play professional soccer. The crowd on LinkedIn tells us that a more lucrative job awaits, never mind if God didn't call us to that job. The crowd can be a gratitude killer. And the crowd blocks us often from seeing Jesus. Zacchaeus had another hindrance that stopped him or or threatened to stop him from seeing Jesus. He was diminutive in stature, or he was short. And I can identify with Zacchaeus. I know it's hard to believe, but my freshman year, I was five feet, one inches or five feet, one inch. And there was this girl that I liked. I'm telling a lot of stories tonight, but (laughs) there was this girl that I liked who uh, I wanted to ask out to to the homecoming dance, right? Freshman year, you know, I mustered up the courage and, you know, she wasn't very tall herself. She was like five, four, but I'll never forget what she told me when I asked her, (laughs) to go to homecoming, she said, Stephen, that's really nice, but I don't date guys shorter than me. <laughs> yes, I, I recovered. It, it took me a while, but I recovered. But Zacchaeus couldn't control his stature. It was something he was born with. And there's things in our lives that we, are, we have no control over that can be hindrances to us seeing Jesus. Maybe a single family upbringing, single parent upbringing, a physical sickness, that came about suddenly, maybe a learning disability, maybe something that someone spoke over us when we were a child. And yet Zacchaeus didn't allow this obstacle to his gratitude to be an excuse for a lack of of gratefulness. Because oftentimes it's the obstacles that rob us from our gratitude that are really invitations in disguise. They're invitations to get up higher. To get alone, to see more clearly. And for Zacchaeus, his limitation, his size, only increased his resolve. He was going to see Jesus. Verse 4, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Now, there's two things you need to know about this time period. Men did not do two things. They did not run and they did not climb. And the same is true today or should be true, in terms of the climbing part. But Zacchaeus, he recognized something. He recognized that as much power as he had, as much money as he had, that he was empty. And he was willing to to humble himself. He was willing to get up in that tree for a glimpse of Jesus. Interestingly enough, in the chapter before, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus had told his disciples Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now my son is three and a half years old and we have been uh, doing an allowance with him the last five weeks where he does chores and he gets 50 cents a week and we're teaching him, okay, five cents goes to God and then give an offering 10 cents more and, um, you know, we're still trying to help him with the whole offering part, but, uh, you know, and then this money goes to, you you share with your your sister, or, you know, and this money you get to keep, and you get to spend, and this money you get to save, so he saved up a dollar, I think a dollar and fifty cents over the last five weeks, he was really excited, we took him to Aldi, and he was going to buy some popsicles. Now, I recognize that the popsicles were $3 and not $1.50, but you try looking at my son who's three and a half years old and telling him he can't have that pop, those popsicles. So me and the, the, the cashier kind of had an agreement like, hey, $1.50, you know, I got this on my credit card. You just kind of receive it, pretend like it's real. But when he gave that $1.50, I mean, those coins were of no value to him because he wanted those popsicles. He was willing to give up I mean, he came home and said, well, Daddy, now I don't have any coins. I said, yeah, but buddy, now you have popsicles. He said, hallelujah. I mean, that's all he needed to know. He was not worried about those coins. He had his popsicles. And I know many of us here have a business that we're running or a few degrees to our name, perhaps a reputation to preserve but remember that children often enjoy the journey more than adults because they don't care what anybody else thinks. There's a part of the kingdom of God that can only be embraced through childlike faith. And here is a dignified man up in a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Yet, Zacchaeus has some very significant problems. Namely, For Zacchaeus, the idea of seeing Jesus is exhilarating. But the idea of seeing Jesus, seeing him, is terrifying. Here he is in a sycamore tree, a kind of fig tree, an extremely large tree with large leathery leaves, a perfect tree to hide behind. So here's a man in the most beautiful city whose at the top of his industry with all kinds of money, yet in the presence of Jesus, he's hiding. Should be familiar. Because we think that that sycamore tree, it's, it's, it's of the subset of a fig tree. And those were the, we think it's the same type of tree that Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves, sycamore leaves. See, nothing had changed from Adam and Eve to Zacchaeus. We still, in the presence of God, want to hide. Want to hide our guilt, want to hide our shame, want to hide our sin. Whether it's a job, a relationship, a car, maybe even our service in church. We've put on designer fig leaves. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus! Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I want you to feel tonight what Zacchaeus is feeling. He's up in a tree. He recognizes that he's a hypocrite. He recognizes he's not worthy of Jesus. And all he wants to do is get a glimpse of Jesus without Jesus seeing him. And Jesus looks up and gazes at Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is thinking in this moment, I'm in some serious trouble. My room, it's like when you're a child and your room's a mess and mom or dad walks in. He's expecting to be called out on the carpet and instead Jesus says, hurry and calm down. Hurry. You see, most of us have this idea that God's disposition towards us is one of utter disappointment. He's waiting for us to get our act together. Oh sure, he loves us, but that's what he's supposed to do. Just like we kind of love a crazy uncle or a crazy aunt. Sure, God loves us, but He doesn't really like us. He doesn't like what, he, what we're doing. He's looking at us, shaking His finger at us, waiting for us to get our act together. Zacchaeus is expecting that, and yet Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Come down from your hiding. And so the question for Zacchaeus is is not will Jesus accept him because Jesus has. The question is, is he going to get down from that tree? And I would suggest to you tonight, the question isn't, what does God feel about you? Is he willing to call you down from your hiding place? But the question for you and I tonight is, will we go down? We have a God. We have a God who is expectant who joyously invites us down into his presence. He proved it by sending his son. Come down from your hiding. What a beautiful moment. What a picture of grace, of scandalous grace. And yet not everybody there was happy. Verse six. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Verse seven. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, who is the all that are grumbling here? Well, all is all, so everybody there. It includes the disciples, the Pharisees, the rest of the crowd. But picture for a moment the disciples. They're coming into the city of Jericho, and they've passed through there before. And they know that there's a toll booth collector there now you know 14 miles away is a toll booth here on i66 that will charge you $46 one way and every time you go to that toll booth if you're which i don't think any of us can afford that but there's somebody going to, for it to be $46 but every time we go through that toll booth we complain about it right here these disciples are you think they weren't talking about zacchaeus on the way there See, Jesus doesn't ask for his name. He knew Zacchaeus' name because he was all-knowing, but he didn't even have to be God in that moment. Because I guarantee you, when he was, they were approaching that city, all the disciples are talking about is Zacchaeus and how much of a, you know what he is, fill in the blank, whatever word popped in your head in that moment. Jesus ministered to tax collectors. He had a tax collector on his staff in Matthew, but this was different. And he says, I'm going to dwell in your house today. If Jesus is dwelling in his house, then disciples are coming along with him. And so here the disciples are, I'm imagining, coming into the house of Zacchaeus. And we kind of picture, you know, maybe a house with a table. And stuff. This guy had so much money. He, I mean, the disciples rolled up, and there's probably like, you know, a fountain with fish, right? There, there's like these nice Roman columns coming down. I mean, there's a, there's a butler that greets them on the door. They walk in. They sit down. Oh, wow, this is Ethan Allen furniture. This isn't the Ikea stuff. And they're thinking (laughs) all of what we see, he stole from us. They're up close and personal with the very person who had robbed them and who had robbed their countrymen. And so they're grumbling. They're not happy about this idea that Jesus is going to dwell in this man's house. Pharisees are joining in on the grumbling too. And the Pharisees kind of appear all throughout the Gospel of Luke. Whenever Jesus does a miracle, whenever he pulls in an outsider, the Pharisees are always there grumbling. Why? Because Jesus' journey is not one for the elite. Jesus' journey is not one for those who have their stuff put together. It's for the outcast. It's for the oppressed. It's for the widow. It's for the children. It's for the beggars. And now it's for this crook. And the Pharisees are indignant. Nothing kills gratitude quicker on a journey than being a backseat driver. The Pharisees and the disciples, they want the journey, but on their terms. They want to choose where to go and who's worthy enough to come along. And this kind of dead religion, exemplified by the Pharisees, is offended by grace. Ironically, Jesus had just told them a parable earlier about a Pharisee who considered himself righteous and a tax collector who couldn't even look toward heaven. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 18, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Here the Pharisees, the disciples, heard this parable that Jesus told just a chapter earlier. They heard the teaching, and yet here was their test. Here was a tax collector that Jesus was welcoming. And they failed miserably. And when we look at Bible stories, we often put ourselves in the heroes, the protagonist role, right? In David and Goliath, we're David, we're fighting the, the giant, right? In the story of Gideon fighting off the, the warriors with just 300 men, we're Gideon, we're the mighty men or women of valor. And yet if we were to insert ourselves into this story, yes, we'd all be Zacchaeus, far from God, recipients of God God's grace. But aren't we more like the disciples and the Pharisees? The very people that we despise, that we complain about, an ungrateful boss, a less than kind neighbor, perhaps an ex-spouse, are the people God wants on his journey. They're reminders that we too were unlovable and offered nothing to Jesus as journey companions. And he wants, to inv- wants us to invite them on this journey. But we're too often busy grumbling to acknowledge the invitation that Jesus wants to extend through us. Verse eight, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I've defrauded anyone of anything. I restore it fourfold. So earlier, Jesus had encountered the rich young ruler, And the rich young ruler refuses to give up everything to follow Christ. And yet here Zacchaeus offers half of his possessions. And Jesus celebrates his repentance. Why would Jesus demand all for the rich young ruler and yet only half for Zacchaeus? Well, under the Mosaic law, if a thief voluntarily confessed his crime, he had to restore what he took and add a fifth to it. But then, later on in Exodus, there's a prescription that if someone stole something he could not restore, he'd have to repay fourfold. So Zacchaeus isn't looking at the fine print. He's not quibbling over the terms of the law. He offered to pay the highest price because his heart had been truly changed. If we're calculating how much we owe Jesus, trying to read the fine print, calculating the sins we've committed minus how much we've tithed, subtracted by how much we've been to church in the last week, plus the argument we had against our wife to figure out how much we owe Jesus or sometimes how much we think he owes us. It's a pretty good indication that we're just really bad at math. (laughs) On our side of the equation is rebellion Addiction, pride, sin. On God's side is a righteous Savior who died a gruesome death, death, who offered a gift of salvation to anybody who would repent and believe, who offers eternal life. That side of the equation is greater than the side that we're on. Verse nine, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of God Of Abraham. For his whole adulthood, Zacchaeus had been a traitor to the household of Israel. But in this moment of his confession of faith, he becomes a true son of Abraham. Zacchaeus is an example of how we are to seek Jesus. The fact that he humbled himself by running ahead of Jesus and climbing up a tree. The fact that he responds to Jesus' invitation by giving half of his goods. We even know from church history that Zacchaeus ended up being one of the leaders of the church till his death. But verse 10 makes it very clear who was seeking who. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, long before Zacchaeus ever stole any money, long before he climbed that sycamore tree, trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, long before he even had the thought of seeking Christ, Jesus was seeking him. It's why he came down to earth in the first place. And in this Thanksgiving season, our gratitude is not a destination. It's not a day on Thanksgiving Day that we celebrate. Zacchaeus' story is a reminder that gratitude is a journey that we grow in every day. It's a reminder, Zacchaeus' story, that we too were once hiding behind fig leaves fig leaves of guilt, of rebellion, and of pride. And Jesus is inviting us to hurry, to come down, and to allow Him to live inside of us, to take residence in our home. And now we are to partner with Jesus on this journey to accompany Him by seeking and saving the lost, by extending that invitation. From Christ, that there is no one, no tax collector, no prostitute, no child, no crook, no oppressed person who's too far from Jesus. We are to be ready to lay down any title, any amount of possessions, and our ego to follow. Knowing that Zacchaeus, just like us, someone who's full of sin and rebellion, was saved. And we too, through Christ, have been given a name we don't deserve, the righteous ones. What an incredible journey of gratitude. Enjoy the journey. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that we are not deserving of your grace. And Zacchaeus' story is a reminder of that. Lord, how we often find our gratitude in the things that you provide rather than who you are. And so tonight, Lord, we want to repent of that. We want to lay down our feelings of what you owe us. And we acknowledge the fact that we owe you a tremendous debt. The debt that you paid on that cross, Jesus and you're inviting us down. If there's anyone here tonight who for the first time in your life, you wanna take up that invitation to come down from your hiding. Or perhaps you are a Christian, but your life doesn't look like what a Christian's life ought to look like. If that's you, would you raise your hand tonight? Jesus is inviting you to hurry and to come down. I see that hand. You can put it down once it's up. Just repeat after me. Say, Father, I'm sorry for the way I've lived. I've tried to hide my sin. And yet today, I choose to surrender to you. I choose to accept Jesus' invitation to come and live inside of me. In Jesus' name, amen.